Pentecost was the 50th day and the final celebration of the sheaf offering at the end of Passover. Here's why that's important to know, okay? Pentecost was a wave as the conclusion that the Passover festival had finished. Passover was one of three festivals every Jewish male was required to attend. So you need to know that every Jewish male that is following, uh, that is following Judaism has to attend these Passover festivals. And they concluded it with the waving of the sheaf offering and they called that 50th day Pentecost. Here's what we need to talk about. Pentecost and Pentecostal has a cultural and traditional definition, and then it has a biblical definition. And now, mind you, uh, I'm doing a doctorate at Southeastern University. Our, our mascot is fire, okay? So it is an Assemblies of God university. Um, so I'm very well immersed in charisma. I'm very well immersed in Pentecostal theology. I'm very well immersed in the Assemblies of God and charismatic renewal theology. Here's what I want you to know. The definition of Pentecost, if your definition of Pentecost and Pentecostal is a religion that doesn't allow you to wear clothes above your ankles, is super legalistic, you can't watch movies, listen to secular music, and is very rigid, that is not the biblical definition that we are following of Pentecost. If your definition of Pentecost and Pentecostal is the fulfillment of of the festival of Passover as fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 when fire falls on the church, we're on the same page. We're talking about the same thing. It's important to clarify that because, again, there are these, there are these words, Pentecost, Pentecostal, Pente this and charisma that and tongues this and tongues that, that we all have these experiences and these experiences have shaped our theology. Theology is shaped three ways. You have experience, influence, and Bible. Unfortunately, it's usually in that order. Usually you experience it, and then you have somebody influence you in it. That, oh, man, you got to do this, you got to do this, this is what you're supposed to do. And then we'll usually, the third way is find it in Scripture, right? And so here's what happens. My experience forms who I allow to influence me, which taints my view of Scripture, that's how we form theology, especially when we talk about the Holy Spirit, tongues, fire, Pentecost, everything else. I would guess if you have a preconceived notion of Pentecost or Pentecostalism, you didn't start here. You started when you walked into someplace. Or you started with somebody who started teaching you uh, what the activity and experience was. So we've got to clarify that. Now, whew, we got to go. Fire was symbolic of the presence of of God. I'm going to walk you through it here in Scripture. Let's start at Exodus 3, verse 2. It says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Exodus 13, 21 through 22. It says, By the day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light. It was the presence of God in the form of a cloud by day, fire by night, that was leading the children of Israel out of the wilderness so they could travel by day or night. Let's keep rolling, guys. Leviticus 6, 12 through 13. I wrote about this two weeks ago in Daily Presence. <clears throat> it says, meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept 
burning. It must never go out. Each morning the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will burn the fat of the peace offering on it. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. Why? Because the burnt offering was the reconciliation offering. What does that mean? When God wants to reconnect with you, there's never a time where his fire's out. When God wants to connect with you, there's never a time where he's like, oh, I'm actually, it's not my hour to, to be working now. I'm uh, Come back on Monday when our doors open back up. No, he's saying in Leviticus, let my fire burn. And when my people want to reconnect with me, I'm going to be blazing hot. You get this imagery now as a young Jewish child like you are that, man, when, we, when I want to connect with God, I know the fire's hot. God's presence is ready for me to consume what I offer him so that I can reconnect with him. Let's keep rolling. Judges 13, 20. As the flames from the fire shot up toward the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell with their faces to the ground. 1 Kings 18, 38. This is Elijah calling down fire. Immediately... The fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. Let's skip down to the, the Joel prophecy, guys. Joel 2, 28 through 30. This is really important to understand. This will come back to full circle. In fact, uh, Peter quotes this in Acts 2, 19 as he's preaching right after fire falls and, the, and uh, right after Pentecost is fulfilled in Acts 2. It says, and afterward... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my streets, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Catch this, blood and fire and billows of smoke. So we get this. Fire in the Old Testament, especially in Jewish history, it represented the presence of God. From the time Moses was before a bush to when Elijah called down fire with the prophets of Baal, fire has always represented the presence of God. Now follow this progression because a progression is about to happen, okay? Here comes John, and John promises one will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, verse 11. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So continue on. Spirit descends on Jesus at his baptism. Jesus is filled with the Spirit. And when he is filled with the Spirit, he is empowered to do ministry. Before the Spirit descended on Jesus and empowered him for ministry, he didn't teach a sermon. He didn't perform a miracle. He didn't call a single disciple. After the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, that's all he did was perform miracles, teach, teach sermons, and call disciples. Okay, So the Spirit descends and Jesus promises the people the Holy Spirit. Spirit will come, but it hadn't come yet. John 7, 39. We covered this either last week or the week before. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus 
had not yet entered into his glory. If you continue reading John 14 through 17, all Jesus continues to remind them is, it's a good thing for me to go away from you because when I go away, the helper will come and you will do even greater works than I do now because the one who is promised to you will come. You see this building of anticipation, right? That once the fire was only the presence of God, now becoming the promise of God to fill them with power. And Jesus is saying himself, it is coming. Coming, prepare for it all the way. Acts 1, 4 through 5, Jesus' words. He says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let me connect some dots, okay? Joel said there's going to be blood and smoke, or blood and fire. What is Pentecost? It's the final day of the Passover festival. What does Passover symbolize? Blood placed on the doorposts of the Jews as they were fleeing slavery in Egypt. What was the practice then at the festival? It was reenacting the blood that saved life. So it was giving sacrifice. It was placing blood on doorposts. It was a continual reminder. So what's present? Blood is present. What does John promise? A baptism. What does Jesus say? The Spirit. So you have blood, water, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you have all of them culminating to this moment. Are you ready for the moment? Here's the moment. Catherine so beautifully read it. I'm going to read it in Igbo. (laughs) Just kidding. Acts 2, 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, here we are. All the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. If you are sitting here thinking, how can we separate tongues from the Holy Spirit falling on the church. I'll give you a real simple way. There are 22 accounts in the book of Acts where the Holy, where someone gets saved, when they, when they get saved, and then they're instantly filled with the Spirit. There's 22 accounts. Three of them, people speak in tongues. 19 of them, that never happens, okay? So what I'm saying is this. It's an incredibly important thing, and we will cover that next week. But to separate it is not to separate what is happening here. It's to emphasize the main point, which is this. The Holy Spirit fell on the church and empowered the church in this moment. We just dedicated a bunch of babies. I've got a bunch of babies, and Anna's already talking to me about another one. <laughs> Don't mess with my marriage right now. Don't get me talking about that, right? But there, there is something, I'll give it to you. There's something about the delivery room. 
Isn't there just something? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. For me, it's like camping where you wear the same pair of sweatpants for three days and everybody else takes care of your child. You don't have to. Like you just get to enjoy how the child's born. Nurse, he's got a dirty diaper. Nurse, he's crying. Nurse, this, that, and the other. And I'm just there, same sweats, figuring out what I'm going to door dash later, right? The delivery room is, is camping. It's great. I remember packing my bags this third time and I was like, man, this is going to be really fun. It's going to be like vacation. I won't see light for three or four days, right? Uh, I won't know what day it is. I don't have to shave. I don't have to do anything. This is like, this is great. I'll stink and I won't care. Like, it's just, it's perfect, right? It's awesome. And then something happens in the delivery room. You hear that first cry. Thank (laughs) If you were wondering if the Holy Spirit was with us, If you had any question, if you had any question if the Holy Spirit was in this place, let your questions be answered. And it's such a beautiful thing. It is such, there is, and then you have this child and you are equal parts like terrified and excited at the same time. And even if you've done it two times before, even the third time, it's still like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we got another one. Here we go. You know, it's just, there is something incredible about it. Am I lying? Is something amazing about it. That's where we're at right now. We are in the birthplace of the church. We're in the delivery room of the church right now in Acts chapter 2. We are in the place where the Spirit of God falls and gives birth to a people who are empowered. What does fire represent? It is God's power becoming empowerment. It's the presence of God that becomes an offering unto us that's given to Jesus, that Jesus promises to us, and then finally falls on us, and it empowers us. And it empowers us in three ways. I'm going to rifle through them. I promise you I'm going to get you on time because we have arc home today. So let's go. Here we go. Number one, God's power becomes empowerment when the Holy Spirit falls on the church. And here is the first way that this happens. His empowerment is to unify a body. Say, what does it mean? Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit fall. And we've been practicing this. They all speak in other languages and all of these people come gathering into one spot who were completely divided, who were completely separated. Watch this. And, and watch this with wonder, okay? There were two different invasions that happened in Jewish history. One by the Babylonians and one by the Assyrians, okay? Both of those invasions scattered Jews Everywhere There were more Jews living outside of Jerusalem than in Jerusalem at this time. And remember, they all spoke the language of their captor. They were forced to speak the language of their captor. So they all had to make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Passover, okay? So you have all of these tribes, all of these tongues, all of these races, all of these generations of people that are completely separated, all coming together. Listen to the beauty of Acts 2, 5 through 12. 
At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. That's crazy. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all here from Galilee. That was like a, a... terribly racist comment to make. He said these Galileans were known as being just backwoods, hillbilly, country bumpkins. So basically they were all from Normandy, right? And no, I'm, t- I'm totally kidding. I know, I know. I have friends who are from Normandy and we joke all the time, right? But um, anyway, they are all from Galilee. Like they're saying, look around. Even these Galileans are here. And these Jews from every tribe. Listen, verse 8. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. Here we are. You have to understand the melting pot that he combines here. Parthians, Medes, Leamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia. Verse 10. He's saying this in amazement. He's like, there are Cowboys fans, Chiefs fans, and Texans fans all in the same room, like worshiping the same. It's like, I can't believe it. Phrygeria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the area of Libya and Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Christians and Arabs. And, and we are all here, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there, what did I tell you? Amazed and perplexed. How on earth can you have all of these people from different tribes, from different parts of the world, of different languages, gathered in one place? They came together not by looks, not by commonalities, not by region or by language, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's empowerment is to unite a people, regardless of difference, into a body that can then function to evangelize culture. Acts, thank you, Maggie. Acts 15.8. God knows people's hearts. Listen to him. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles. What was the confirmation that the competing race against the Jews was also confirmed and accepted by the Lord? By giving them the Holy Spirit. The unity that the Holy Spirit brings. They're saying, even the Gentiles. And how do we know this? They have the Holy Spirit. Just as he did for us. Guys, we'll skip down to the Acts 4 dialogue. After Peter and John were arrested for preaching Christ, they're thrown into prison. They're released. They meet up with other Christians. They've prayed for boldness, the miraculous, and for God to move in Acts 4, 31 through 32. It says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Watch what happens next. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Verse 32, all The believers were united in heart and mind. We are not united by neighborhood. We are not united by profession. We are not united by age. 
We are not united by race. We are united by the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 2, 19-22. This is why he can say this. So now you Gentiles are no longer slaves and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his people, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. What does the Holy Spirit do? By his power, he unites us together so that we become a holy temple for the Lord. And then watch verse 22. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling. How can people come in here and become part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit? What does the spirit do? It draws people from every walk of life into forming a holy community where God's presence and God's power can dwell. And it is by nothing that we may have in common but the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is enough. That's enough. The other day, I'll give you an illustration. I was, uh, by the way, you know, I've tried to be quiet about this. I really have. I've tried to be respectful. I've tried to be honorable. But some of you Texans fans are just so obnoxious. Like, where is, where is Johnny Pate? Johnny Pate, I know he's in here. Wave at me, Johnny Pate. Oh, no, I won't, I won't call Johnny Pate out. But let, let me tell you something. John Pate, um, he, he wants to send me messages about the Texans and about the, no, about the Chiefs. I'm sorry, he's a Texans fan. Yeah, he don't talk about the Texans much, I promise you that. But he sure likes to talk about the Chiefs, right? And he's messaging me hammering the Chiefs when the Texans are nowhere close. And so I'm like, okay, man, you want to play that game? I'll break out the Chiefs gear because I got the mic too, man, and we'll just talk about this if you want to talk about this. But the other day I was in the store uh, at HEB, and I was wearing this hat. Isn't this a good-looking hat? Come on, isn't this a good-looking hat? Come on, Sam, isn't this a good-looking hat? And I'm wearing this hat, and I kid you not. I see the 15. I see you right there. And I, I kid you not, across the entire store, I don't even know who this human was. All I hear is, oh, 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 oh. And I was like, I looked up, and he saw me. And I saw him, and he was wearing a Chiefs jersey, and I went, oh, and I mean across the entire store. And you know what was amazing? I've never met this human in my life, ever. I have no clue who he was. But I ran across that store, and I jumped in it. No, I'm just kidding. That would have been awesome, though, right? But we had this connection, and this connection revolved around the power of the chiefs. Isn't that amazing? On, on a serious note, how much more so should we have a connection? How much more so should we? You follow Jesus, that's all I need to know. You have the Holy Spirit, that's all I need to know. You worship, that's all that I need to know. You don't have to explain yourself to me. You don't have to qualify yourself to me. You don't have to do anything but let me know you're a follower of Jesus and we're family. 
We're united by the power of God. That's what he did in Acts chapter 2. That's what he did. He drew every tribe, every nation, everyone around to himself to hear the gospel, to get saved, filled with the Spirit, and then go out and do what Jesus was doing. And the one thing that united rivals for years was the power of the Holy Spirit. The only reason Johnny Pate's allowed in here is the power of the Holy Spirit. Because there's one thing that is stronger than all other things. You catch that, right? That's the first thing. Now let's go number two. God's power becomes empowerment. The fire represents the power becoming empowerment. It's empowerment to the believer to live and do the things of Jesus. So number one, God empowered me to be united For us to form a holy temple where he can dwell and people can come in and they can get filled with the Spirit and they can meet Jesus and God can do a work in their life. Number two is it is empowerment to me as a Christian. Fire falling represents empowerment to me to live and do the things of Jesus. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Read it on your own time. I'll summarize it to you. Immediately after this event... Peter preaches a sermon after Peter preaches, and he quotes that Joel chapter 2 passage. After he preaches, thousands of people get saved. After they get saved, here's what they do. They build a holy community. They start meeting together in homes. They start praying. They start studying scripture together. They start giving away things to each other to support each other. Acts 2, 41 through 47. Gosh darn it, I'll just read it. It says, then Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people... Are we being questioned today because we've done... No, 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 no. I'm in the wrong passage. Acts 2, 42-47. My bad. That's next. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals and to prayer. What did they do? They get saved. They are united by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what was once completely divided communities are now having meals together at the table. You're going to understand something. There's a, there's a theological term called commensality. It is, the, it is the theology of the table, of having a meal. Here's why it's far more important in Jewish history than right now. Because Jews and Gentiles would have never sat at a table and eaten together. They would have never been caught dead together at the dinner table, yet what did the power of the Holy Spirit do? Put them at the table together. Put them in prayer together. Put them in worship together. Verse uh, 44, let's jump down. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So they turned their unity into a community. They turned their unity into a community. And how do you function as a good member of that community, of that society? You live and do the things that Jesus did. You live and do, and how are you empowered to do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 4, 8 through 13. You want a life mission passage? Here it is. I love this passage. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, make no question about it, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, 
are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Verse 11, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now listen to verse 13. So what do we have? We have Peter, Filled with the Spirit, standing up for the gospel. Here's verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. This is so cool. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. What did they have? No special training in the scriptures. None at all. What did they have? Holy Spirit. What did they have? The Holy Spirit. What does living in the community of faith empowered by the Holy Spirit look like? It looks like ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit that look like they've been with Jesus. What does it look like? It looks like ordinary people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and you can tell they've been with Jesus. That's why Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. What should I look like as a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit, living in unity with a church body, trying to function in that community by doing and, and living the way Jesus did? Here it is. It should be categorized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit empowers you to be in the greater body of Christ. We watch this crazy show. You probably don't watch it, and if you do, you'll laugh that we watch it. It's called Lock and Key. Anyone familiar with Lock and Key? Anybody? Yeah, right? That's what I assume, right? Um, It is this show that's on Netflix about this family that like has this house that has keys and every key opens up this magical power. Yes, I watch this show. Man, TV's been bad since post-COVID. Like there's nothing that's renewing seasons. And so we're on lock and key. But anyway, this moment happens in lock and key where there's this bad character, right? And there's this good character and they both find themselves in like this utter world where their spirits are flying around and they're, they're battling each other. And then someone opens up the door. And when the door opens up, both the spirits are rushing back. Back, right? And as they're rushing back, you're like, what in Harry Potter is Luke watching? Yes, both the spirits are rushing back, and as they rush back, boom, they both jump into the bad character. And then here's what happens during the rest of the episode. The bad character is trying to do something bad, but there is a good spirit inside of the bad character that is keeping him from doing it. So he will come after, and then all of a sudden he's, he's pulled back, and he will try to do something, and then all of a sudden he stops again and by the end the good has completely overtaken the bad that is exactly the walk we're on in the empowerment of the holy spirit i want to be love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self-control and there are moments where i lose that self-control but yet what is god doing in me he's pulling my heart back 
He's pulling, hey, you need to be loving here, not angry. You need to be gracious and peaceful, not annoyed and frustrated and highly until I get a little twerked up, right? So you need to calm down. Self-control is of the Spirit. That's the work of the Spirit in the believer. And then we finish here. It all culminates, and I'm going to drive this home. The Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 falls on the church to empower them to evangelize culture. Not to fight culture, not to battle culture, not to correct culture, not to condemn culture, but to evangelize culture. If you read through the book of Acts, and I would encourage you to do it this week, if you read through the book of Acts, here's what you're going to see. Massive opposition. Massive opposition to the gospel. Vicious persecution met with the power to overcome. And here's the result. Salvation and filling of the Spirit. All over the place. Thrown into prison. They break out of prison. They don't run away from the prison. They preach the gospel to the guards. And what happens? The guards follow them afterwards. Why? Massive opposition, yet the gospel goes forth. And in the midst of that opposition, culture is evangelized. I've got three different examples to share with you, and I'm going to skip all three. Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts chapter 6, but if you read the book for yourself, you are going to see it is just mass persecution met with the power of the gospel, with the filling of the Spirit, and people are evangelized. People are saved, and a great work happens. Alan Hirsch, who is an early church growth expert, he's a church historian as well, he says by A.D. 100, there were as few as 25,000 Christians. He said by A.D. 310, it's two centuries later, there was over 20 million Christians. He said in two centuries under persecution with zero technology, history, or infrastructure, the most significant religious force in the Roman Empire became Christianity. It also marks the fastest growing time period of a religious movement ever. What did they do? Filled with the Spirit, evangelized culture. Filled with the Spirit, they evangelized culture. Where did we start this season? We started this season with Paul saying the kingdom of God is not of talk, but of power. We are not philosophers. We're not teachers. We're not preachers. We're not scholars. We are people filled with power to live and do the things of Jesus, to see a holy temple built for him here on earth. The problem is we've become practitioners, or we've become philosophers, not practitioners. We, we, we talk about it, but we don't practice it. We don't put it into motion. We talk about the Holy Spirit giving us power to go out and evangelize culture, and then we argue with our neighbor nonstop. He's supposed to come to the gospel. How's he supposed to hear about Jesus? How's he supposed to be transformed? And then we know, we go out and we think, oh man, I, I hear this nonstop. And I, I mean, I get it, but it, it drives me crazy as well. Oh man, I, there's so much persecution. Everyone's against Christianity and everyone this, that, and the other, and, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, let, me, let me share with you a story. I, I was, we did Day with Dads, which is one of my favorite things we've ever done as a church, where we as a church went into a prison, and we brought their children in with them, right? And they got to spend an entire day 
with their kids, and we had activities and all of these things set up. Uh, it was just, it was beautiful. So there was this time where we, we went in, and we had their kids waiting in security, and it was like a 45-minute delay. So here we are uh, with all of these men in prison, and we're kind of just, you know, you're making small talk the way you can. And then one guy came over to me, and he said to me, hey, man, y'all scared? <laughs> I was like, no, man, I'm hard as a rock. You know, like, what are you talking about? Huh? He's like, are y'all scared in here? And I said, I don't know. I mean, they may be, but not me. I'm, I'm straight. And he said, well, listen. He said, you see that guy over there? And I said, yeah. Dude, tattoos everywhere. And he said, yeah, he's got three capital murder charges, G4. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you see that guy over there? He's in here on capital murder. And he said, me, I, I killed a guy when I was 18. I was like, not feeling safe anymore. <laughs> he said, when I got here, I was angry. I was frustrated. I wanted to fight with everybody. He said, they locked me in the hole, or the, the, the box or whatever he called it. For two years, he spent there, segregated, because he was so angry, so frustrated, so filled with rage. And then he got out, and he said, but man, I want you to, to know something. He said, you guys are bringing our kids in here. And he said, that's all that we have left. So he said, I promise you, that guy right there, that person right there, and me, we're going to make sure nothing happens to you. I'm walking around that place now. I got them on my team, baby. Right? And he said to me, I thought it was so wild. He said, you may think you're in a scary place, but you are the safest people in here. You may think you're somewhere scary, but you don't realize what's protecting you. You don't realize what has your back. You don't realize what's looking out for you. Don't walk out there defeated today because you don't realize the power that goes with you. You don't realize what is looking out for you. You don't realize what is empowering you because if you did, you wouldn't spend a moment in fear and you would burn up with the fire of God and you would attack what the enemy's trying to take away and you would see God move. That's who we are. We are a people empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in unity, to build a community of people doing and living the way that Jesus did and we are out there to evangelize culture and we got to recognize something. We have the power with us. We have the strength with us. The Holy Spirit has our back. So let's get on mission together.